Well, happy Easter, everybody. It's great to see all of you here. It's great to see the room full like this. We almost overbooked the flight a little bit, uh, kind of a deal, but it's great to have all of you here and to celebrate the resurrected uh, Lord and Savior. And uh, I don't know about you, but many times when we start thinking about what happened at Easter, you know, in the scripture reading that was just read for us just moments ago, I love how it ends. Peter himself, the great Peter, goes, what just happened? How do you describe all that occurred on Easter morning? Well, that's what I want to talk about. What is Easter all about? So if you can imagine being around uh, 2,000 years ago, when this man named Jesus came, and you listened to him, and when he taught, you realize he taught like nobody else. Nobody had ever lived like Jesus lived. Nobody ever loved the way that Jesus loved. And so you want to become his apprentice, his follower. And so you leave everything. You leave your home, your family. You leave your work. People told you you were nuts. You are crazy. But you didn't care because you were convinced that this guy got it. And that his little community, his little followers, his apprentices... We're going to change the world. For a while, it was an amazing adventure. And then one Sunday, you went into Jerusalem, and everybody there wanted to make him king. And they were all thrilled. But he refused to be their kind of king. And so things went south really fast. By Friday, what we call Good Friday, this man you had given up everything to follow is dead. And not just dead, he's crucified like a common criminal. And that meant failure. So you're in deep, deep despair. On Sunday, early in the morning, you go to the tomb because you had nowhere else to go. It's really confusing. And the tomb is empty, and the stone that had been blocking the way has been rolled away, and the Roman guards who were guarding it are gone, and now there's an angel and an angel says, Jesus is not here, he's still alive. So you go and you tell everybody this good news. Now that'll probably be dangerous to you, but the Romans will probably kill you for it. But they killed Jesus, and he's doing great, so you don't worry about it. And you go tell everybody, hate is out and God's love is in. And the crucified carpenter from Nazareth is now master of the universe. Jesus Christ is risen. What do you think would be the first words out of your mouth if you had witnessed and heard that, that first Sunday morning? You know, there's a tradition that has been around for a long, long time now. At gatherings like this, somebody will say, Jesus Christ is risen and all the people will respond, he is risen indeed. And so I want to practice that this morning, because we're going to use that a little bit in our service here. So I'm going to say, Jesus Christ is risen, and you're going to respond, he is risen indeed. All right? Everybody got the instructions? Here we go. Jesus Christ is risen. Awesome. Fantastic. You know, that's a beautiful sentiment. But I don't think their first response was anything that polished. 
I think that first Sunday morning, when they heard the message that Jesus Christ, the guy you knew, the guy you followed, this carpenter, the teacher, is raised from the dead, I think their response was a bit dumbfounded, a little bit indescribable. You know, indescribable is what we say when something happens that turns our world upside down. We didn't see it coming, and we don't know how to just take it all in. It's just, how do you describe it? Indescribable is an expression of wonder and awe, dumbstruck. Now, life itself is filled with indescribable moments. History is filled with indescribable moments. Uh, The Wright brothers get into a machine one day, and all of a sudden, human beings can fly. And several decades later, a man named Neil Armstrong takes his first step on the moon. Amazing moment in history. How many of you would admit that you were around to watch Armstrong on the moon on television? All right, few of you. Remember those moments. Your life is filled with indescribable moments, like the birth of a child. What an absolute mystery when that happens. Or you travel and see one of the ancient wonders of the world. Or you get a driver's license. I can now drive all by myself for the very first time. Or for me, I meet a girl, a Wisconsin girl, and I propose... And she says, yes. It's an indescribable moment. You know, every life has moments, but they're nothing compared to the big moment. That's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to walk through three truths about the resurrection of Jesus. Real simple, real simple. One of them is that the resurrection actually happened in history. The second is the resurrection changed everything. And then the third truth is the resurrection is deeply personal. So here we go. Number one, the resurrection really happened. And this is so important because in our day, often there's kind of an idea floating around about Easter. And it goes something like this. Jesus probably existed. He was probably a really good guy. He probably was a great teacher. He was probably deeply inspirational, but he was just a guy. Just stuff happening in the natural level. And when he died, people missed him. And so some folks felt like his spirit was still lingering on, felt this sense of his presence. So they turned it into this mythical story about resurrection. Kind of vision stuff, folklore stuff. But in the ancient world people were really naive some of them took it literally some of them took it seriously and they shouldn't have and real stories about resurrection should be understood as just symbolic they're just mythic stories about the power of hope how life has a way of re-emerging that's the way we're supposed to read it now i want to explain for a few moments that for the new testament writers the resurrection did not mean any of that It was not understood in that way at all. They were presenting it as something that actually happened. And this is so important. 
There's an Oxford scholar named Richard Bachman, a brilliant guy, and he wrote a fascinating book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, the Gospels as Eyewitness Testimony. And he talks about how in the ancient world, in ancient Rome, ancient Greece, there would be folks who were quite serious about writing history, about what really happened. And it was very different from other genres like myth and folklore. And they believed to write serious history depended on talking to the eyewitnesses who were still alive, who had actually experienced, hopefully been participants in the event, the war, whatever that they're going to write about. So history is built on eyewitness testimony by ancient historians who are serious about their craft. We see this in the Gospels. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, 1 through 4. Notice how seriously he writes about what he's putting together here. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an ordea account for you, most the excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. You know, whatever you think about this writing, it is not intended to be a symbolic story. Bachman writes that in ancient histories that were meant to be taken seriously, eyewitnesses played very much the role that footnotes play in literature in our day. If somebody's going to write something and they're serious about it being taken as a truth claim, as being knowledge, factual data, they will put a footnote with it to say, you can check this out on your own. We see this in serious academic work, in textbooks, peer-reviewed journal articles, research. There are always footnotes. In light, fluffy, symbolic stories, there are no footnotes. There are no footnotes in Dr. Zeus. There are no footnotes in the very hungry caterpillar. But we see this dynamic all over the Gospels. The importance of these are stories that are drawn from eyewitnesses. Here's just one example. Uh, It's all over, but Mark 15, verse 21. Mark says, A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. We're probably all familiar with that little story, but why does Mark note that it was a man named Simon? Simon's a common name in ancient Israel, so he wants to distinguish him. This particular Simon, who came from Cyrene, and if that's not clear enough, it's the guy who's the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, why would Mark include the father of Alexander and Rufus? They're not famous people back then. Bachman notes that it's precisely because they would have become part of the Christian community. They were still alive when Mark wrote his gospel. And Mark is understood to be the first gospel written. And so it's interesting enough that the other gospels don't include these names. And Mark is saying, if you want to check this out, go talk to them. They're still around. And if you don't believe me, you can ask them. Check it out. This happened, and this really matters. We see this same dynamic of eyewitness testimony in another really striking part of the Gospels. 
All four of the Gospels written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of Jesus' life, they include the names of the eyewitnesses who saw the empty tomb and they heard the message, Jesus has risen. In each case, the first eyewitnesses at the empty tomb are women. Now, we would tend uh, not to think much about this, but this would be very striking in the ancient world because in the ancient world, women were not regarded generally as credible witnesses. In ancient Israel, in ancient Rome, women generally are not allowed to serve as an eyewitness in a court. They could not give legal testimony in a court, but men could. But you see this dynamic at work in this little passage from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24, verses 10 through 11. Luke is writing about the resurrection, and he says, It was Mary Magdalene. Notice the names. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with him who told this, the resurrection, to the apostles. But they, the men, the apostles, did not believe the women because their words seemed to them, the men, like nonsense. Now, can you believe there was a time when men were slow to take women seriously? The women here said, Jesus Christ is risen. And the men say, fake news. Nah. It wasn't until some of them saw the risen Jesus that they learned to take it seriously. Now here's the point. If the stories of the resurrection were just made-up stories trying to convince gullible people about some higher truth, people would have never made up women as the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And yet, in every single gospel, it is the women who are the ones who are listed that way. The only reason women are listed as the eyewitnesses is that, in fact, they were the eyewitnesses. Nobody could have or would have made it up that way. And the writers are taking it historically serious. So whatever you think about these accounts, they are presenting the resurrection as something that really happened. Now why? Because of this next truth. The resurrection changed everything. Easter is the hinge of history. To this day, we date human history by the life of that one man who lived and died and was raised again. You know, in our own lives, there are indescribable moments. But the moments that we experience don't really change a whole lot. Like you get your first paycheck. I remember when I got my first paycheck, and I remember I looked at it and I said, whoa. And then I saw how much of it went to the IRS, and I thought, whoa. All right? We all have indescribable moments, but they just come and go. The world just keeps going on. Problems keep right on going. Life and death keep right on going. But once there was a man named Jesus, and he came and he taught like nobody else that God is real, that God is loving, that God is more loving than the most loving mother or loving father, that God cares about you, that not a sparrow can fall from its nest that God doesn't know about, God doesn't care. That God is infinitely good, 
That God is concerned about justice and righteousness. And then there is this amazing movement. And then Jesus died. And the movement died with him. Do you all understand that on Saturday, there was nothing left of that movement? And then Sunday, it's on. A lot of people don't understand this. Christianity is unique amongst all faiths. It is the only faith that did not develop gradually over time. One day, it did not exist, and a few hours later, it did exist. And people were ready to die for it. And as a matter of historical fact, they did die for it. Jesus is so matter-of-fact about this resurrection. We're told this in Matthew 28, verse 8, one of my favorite verses. says this, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. I love how understated Jesus is right there. Hello! <laughs> kind of like, Ta-da! <laughs> kind of a moment. And notice this. They came, they clasped his feet. Here's the word. They worshipped him. Yesterday, he was a crucified criminal. A failed Messiah. And in hours, he is Lord of the universe. And they worship him. You see, his way, the way of servanthood and humility and self-sacrifice and love, it wasn't thwarted by the cross. In fact, it took that instrument of death and shame and turned it into the most recognizable symbol in the history of humanity. So you don't have to live in fear anymore. You don't have to live in defeat anymore. You know, nations will rise and fall. Civilizations will come and go. And the shadow of this one life haunts the human race 2,000 years later like no other. Because he changed everything. And that power that resurrected Jesus can be at work in your life. And that's the third great truth. The resurrection is deeply personal. You know, we all face this wonder of being born and then having our lives come to an end. Biblical writers talk a lot about this. This is from the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Hebrews verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 27 through 28. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. That's deliverance and healing and forgiveness to those who are waiting for him. So let me ask you this morning. Are you waiting for him? Are you? Because here's the truth about you. The biggest moment of your life has yet to come. The most amazing moment in your life will be the moment after you die. We don't talk a whole lot about it, but it's a good thing to talk about every once in a while, especially at Easter, because this moment will come for everybody. 
There's an old, old story. This little kid comes running out of his bedroom one time, and he says to his mother, Mom, is it true that from dust we are made and dust we return? And she says, yes, why do you ask? And he said, well, I was just looking under my bed, and someone is either coming or going. (laughs) This moment will come into your life when your life will be over. And then something indescribable will happen. Either you will see God. Just think about that for a moment. You will see God. You know, I talked this week to somebody who has been a part of our church for a very long time. And he was in the last hours of his life. And I had just a wonderful time just telling him how much... He meant to us how much he was loved. And the last thing we said to one another was, I'll see you in heaven. I'll see you there. Imagine that moment. That will be your moment. Or you will face an eternity without God. And God doesn't want anybody to face that. So he says, I will give you my grace, my love, my forgiveness. For wherever you've messed up is a free gift. And I'll be a part of your life every moment of your life. And then you can be with me forever in eternity. You see, that one moment after you die, not only will you be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, you will be celebrating the resurrection of you. Because Jesus Christ is risen. So in closing, I want to say that old liturgy together. Where I'll say, Jesus Christ is risen, and then you respond, he is risen indeed. So I'm going to ask you, if you would just stand with me as we do this. And I want us to say it thoughtfully. And remind us, why do we do this? We do this because the death and resurrection of Jesus means that sin, your sin, is forgiven. That death, your death, is taken care of. That you can have hope. That you can have a purpose. That you now have a meaning. That you have a message to share. That you have a destiny to live into. And that God's love has triumphed over hate. It means that creation itself is going to be redeemed, that suffering has been repealed, that every loss is going to be restored, that God himself will wipe away every tear from every sorrowing eye, that sickness and sadness and grieving and mourning and weeping will be no more. And this moment will come. It will surely come, and it will come for one reason, where that one thing actually happened. Here we go. Jesus Christ is risen. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's what it's all about. Would you pray with me? 
God, there are people who are standing right now and they really need your presence and the power of the resurrected Jesus in their life. If this is you this morning and you've never committed your life to God before, you can do that right now. This can be that moment in your life where you can say, I surrendered everything to him. So you can do that right now. You just surrender. You just tell him, God, I confess my sin and I repent. And I ask you to come in and forgive me as a gift of grace. And be my leader, my teacher forever. God loves doing that. I hope you will do that. God, bring your resurrection power to every man and woman and every young person here who needs it now. We pray this in the name of our resurrected Lord and Savior. Jesus' name, amen.